Now, if you want to turn to uh, in your bulletin, I'll, let me read for the read for us the Word of God today. This comes from Romans ten verses thirteen through fifteen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, as you can get uh, from the stories that you've heard today, um, this month is uh, Missions Month, and this will be a part of the regular cadence, the regular annual cadence uh, of our church. And the reason why we want to do this is because we not only want to be a church that is city focused, but we also want to be a church that is globally focused as well. Now, let me explain why we want to be globally focused as well. Uh, One of my heroes, the late missiologist Ralph Winter, once said that the Bible is not the basis for missions. Missions is the basis for the Bible. Nina Gunter once said that if you were to take out missions from the Bible, all you would have left are the covers. So God is a missionary God, and the Bible is a missionary book. And we see it in the opening pages of the Bible when the very first question that God asks mankind is, where are you? In the game of hide-and-go-seek, we are not the ones that are seeking after God so much as we are the ones hiding from God. And God is the one that is seeking after every one of us. This is why John Calvin referred to God as the hound of heaven in hot pursuit of each and every one of us. And so the way that I want to think about missions today is by thinking about your feet. Take a look with me again at the last verse where it says this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I am not ashamed to admit that a good day for me is wearing a mask and getting a mani and pedi. But what makes our feet beautiful is not getting our cuticles cut. But what makes our feet beautiful is two things. Number one, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news who preach good news. Now, I butchered this analogy uh, ad nauseum, but it bears repeating one last time. If one of us in this room were to discover the vaccine for COVID over a year ago, and we were not to share it with anyone, that would not only be selfish, but that would be evil. And the reason for that is because millions of people were dying. And similarly, what we are battling today is a virus that is far stronger than COVID-19. In fact, it is a virus so strong that one day, because of this virus, every single one of us in this room will eventually die. But we have a vaccine that is stronger than Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J. We have a vaccine that can promise us and give us eternal life. And therefore, for us not to share this good news with other people would not only be selfish, but for us not to share it would be evil. 
This is why Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news to others. But it is not only our preaching that makes our feet beautiful, but there's a second thing that makes our feet beautiful, and it's embedded in the word beautiful itself. The Greek word here for beautiful has the same root word as the word hour or time. And so what makes someone's feet beautiful is their sense of timeliness or their sense of urgency. So what does that mean? Carl Henry said it best when he said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. If it doesn't get there in time, it is not good news at all. Right now, as we speak, there are hundreds of thousands of Hindus that are dying because of COVID-19 in India, some of whom are rubbing themselves with cow dung and cow urine because they think it will protect them from COVID-19. Hundreds of thousands. For us not to share this good news would not only be selfish, but it would be evil. In India, cows today are your modern-day golden calf. And we have something that is far greater than that. So who will tell them who Jesus is? Who will tell them this good news? It has to be us. And what this verse says is this, if they call on him, they will be saved. And who is this promise for? If you take a look at the next verse, uh, if you jump up to verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what's interesting here is that it says for everyone. What's also interesting is that most religions today have a geographic home. Consider this, 95% of Muslims today live in the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. 92% of Hindus live in India or South Asia. Almost every religion today has a geographic home except for Christianity. Where is the geographic home of Christianity? 25% of Christians live in Central or South America, 22% in Africa, 15% in Asia, 12% in North America, and 20% in Europe. If you want to know what the face of modern-day Christianity looks like today, it is not a white man. If you want to know what the face of Christianity looks like today, it is a relatively poor, dark-skinned woman living in the global south. That is what the modern face of Christianity looks like today, which means that some of the darkest, spiritually darkest corners of the world today lie in some of the most unlikeliest to us. Read with me on the second page of your bulletin a quote from the author and poet Jackie Hill Perry. And on the second page of your bulletin, she says this, why aren't there mission trips to rich suburban neighborhoods? Because those Christians mistakenly believed that the impoverished equals unrighteous. This is why I love the fact that Kuni is in Nagoya, in a country like Japan that is affluent and very influential, and yet less than 1% of the Japanese are Christian. 
And I wonder, because I know that all of us have been stuck home for a long time and all of us are suffering from wanderlust. I wonder, what would it look like for Christians not only to use their passports to travel, but to use our passports to go traveling for missions? What would it look like for us to use our passports not only to go to good restaurants in Japan, but what would it look like for us to use our passports to go visit Kuni, saving maybe five inches of our suitcase with a gift from America that he cannot get in Japan? What would it look like if we had that type of kingdom mindset as Christians? Because the gospel is not just for New Yorkers, it is for everyone. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Take a look at verse 14a. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Before someone can call out to God, they have to believe in God. But the question is, how do we persuade people to believe in God? How do we persuade people to believe in anything? This is a story I've shared once before, but uh, urban legend says that Steve Jobs once walked into an Apple cafeteria he saw some of his colleagues there and he asked him this question. Who is the most powerful person in the world? And thinking it was a trick question, his colleague said, is it you? The president? Jeff Bezos? And he responds by saying, wrong. The most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. This is the reason why some of us believe in certain ideologies and movements, even though they might not be right. But we believe in these ideologies and movements because we've bought their stories, hook, line, and sinker. The most powerful person in the world is a storyteller. And you know what? As Christians, we have the greatest story. We have the most beautiful story. We have the most hopeful story. And we also have the truest story ever told. But how persuasive are we with this story that we have? One way of persuading people to believe in this story is with our lives. One pastor once said that the only Bible some people will ever read is your life. So does your life point people to Jesus? Or does your life point to how you are living your best life now? Does your life point other people to Jesus with the way that you live, talk, and breathe? But there's a second way that we can persuade people to believe in this message, and it's not just the way that we live our lives, but it's the way that we communicate this gospel story with our words. Right now, I firmly believe we have a unique opportunity as Christians. If you jump on Twitter or the internet, Twitter and the internet and social media in general are hard words with soft arguments. As Christians, we can do the exact opposite where we use hard arguments with soft words. And maybe if we used hard arguments with soft words instead of hard words with soft arguments, people would actually listen to what we have to say, because what we have to say is so countercultural, and the way that we act and speak is so countercultural as well. Maybe then people will finally listen to us, because in verse 14b it says this And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
You can't call on God to be saved unless you first believe in God, but you can't believe in God until you first hear about God first. One of my missionary heroes um, is K.P. Yohannan, and he tells a story about how he was evangelizing to a street vendor in India, and he said, excuse me, sir, do you know who Jesus is? And the street vendor replied, I don't know who Jesus is, but he might live in that village over there. And so the point of that story is he didn't even know that Jesus was a historical figure. He thought it was just another person that lived in the next village over. Now, granted, most people in our world today have heard about who Jesus is. But even though Jesus is the most famous figure in history, he still remains the most misunderstood person in history as well, which, we have, which is why we have an obligation for people to hear about who the real Jesus is because unless they hear, they can't believe. And if they don't believe, they cannot call on God to be saved, which is why if we want people to hear, we have to preach. And so jump to 15a. And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them. Preaching is something that we all do. It is not just regulated for pastors. The word preaching that is used here is the word proclaim. We all proclaim something. When you find a good restaurant, you herald it, you proclaim it, you preach about it. This is something that we all do on a daily basis. The question is, what do we want to ultimately proclaim about? What do we ultimately want to herald and advertise about? One of the things that's really interesting to me is that um, there was a survey done of, uh, with people younger than 25, and they gave them five options for vocations to choose from. And this is the order in which uh, this demographic chose these five vacation, uh, vocations. Number five, when I grow up, I want to be an astronaut. Number four, when I grow up, the fourth thing I would like to be is an athlete. Number three, musician. Number two, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. You know what the number one thing that uh, people under 25 wanted to be today? Not an astronaut, not a teacher, not an athlete, not a musician, but the number one thing that people wanted to be was an influencer. The influencing market is a billion-dollar market. People get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for one tweet promoting something. But the question is for us as Christians, what do we ultimately want to influence people with? Take a look at the second page of your bulletin. Now I want to read you something from the comedian Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. Interestingly, Penn grew up in the church, but had a deconversion story and deconstructed his faith. And yet, in the midst of his atheism, Gillette says this, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that that's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. If we want people to call on God, they have to believe. If we want people to believe in God, they have to hear. If we want people to hear about God, people have to preach. And if we want people to preach, take a look with me at the last part of verse 15. They have to be sent. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? My ultimate, my ultimate hope for our church, and I don't, I don't know how realistic this is, but my ultimate hope for our church is not how many people we can seat. But my ultimate hope for our church is how many people we can send. I would be far happier if we could send more people than we can seat. And I love the word send here because it entails a partnership. It's not just one individual going, but it's an entire community going with them, sending them, launching them off to go wherever God has called them. And so there are three numbers that I want us to fixate on as a church. Number one, I want 100% of our church to either go or send or support missions in one way or another through prayer and through our finances. 100% of us. The second number I want us to fixate on is the number 10. I want 10% of us to go on some kind of short-term trip. So I have no idea what size our church is anymore, to be honest, but let's just say hypothetically we're 500. I would love to see 50 people in our community go to Japan, Bangkok, Philippines, Cambodia, 50 people in our community to go for a week or more. And lastly, the last number I want us to fixate on is the number one. I would love to see 1% of our community, that's five people, go for a long-term trip of at least one year or more. But in order for us to hit that 1%, we first have to hit the other two numbers first, the 100% and the 10%. You will not be a part of that 1% unless you are part of these other two numbers first. And you know what's amazing? We have another person going to Far East Asia in a couple months who will be a part of that 1%. And so as we think about these three numbers, 100%, 10%, and 1%, at the end of the day, these are just numbers. But what lies behind these numbers is an awakening that we want to see of people in our community that are not just city-focused, but globally-focused as well. But in order for that, these three numbers to take place, there's one other domino that needs to fall first. And perhaps it is the most important. And that first domino is the gospel. At the end of the day, all of our feet are not that beautiful. They are turned inward. They're quite crooked and follow a crooked path. But there is one person who had the most beautiful feet in the world, and that is Jesus Christ, who went on a long journey from heaven to earth. And he did not go on this journey for his honeymoon or vacation, but he went on this journey to die. There was no need to look at Hotels.com because he would be homeless. 
There was no need to go on TripAdvisor because the only advice he got for this trip was to be obedient to the point of death. And yet he did so. And on the last day of his life, both of his beautiful feet were placed one on top of another as a rusty nine-inch nail pierced through both feet. And the reason why he willingly pierced his feet is because what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as that blood flowed and dripped from his feet, it is that very thing that washes away our sins because of the price that he paid for us. Charles Spurgeon once said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. And the truth of the matter is, there are some of you here in this room right now and watching online that God is after. But he is not only after some of us in this room, like the hound of heaven he is, but he is after people in Nagoya, in Delhi, in Shanghai, in Sydney, Australia, in Paris, France. He is after other people as well. Let me close with this. My wife uh, actually just made this joke yesterday, but she always says that um, um, my hands look like they've never worked a day in their life. It's called lotion, okay? I've also been a student for most of my life, so I, I have done construction and other things, but uh, you know, regardless of what my hands look like, I, I never want my feet to look like they've never worked a day in their life. I want my feet to be calloused. I want my feet to be sore because I stood serving for other people. I want my feet to be tired because I willingly went to the ends of the earth to share this good news of gospel hope. So let me just close with two applications for us as we wrap up today. Number one, register for tonight's event at 7 o'clock. Uh, the registration is windows open just for a few more hours. And the reason why I want you to consider joining us tonight is because we want to deconstruct your sensationalized view of missionaries. As, as Cooney just said, missionaries are just normal Christians who live in another country. You've done that studying abroad, by the way. That's all missionaries are. Take it from me, I used to be one. These are not super Christians. They are just simply people who love Jesus in another country. And the other thing, the other reason why I want you to join tonight is because I want you to befriend real missionaries and to hear and familiarize yourself with their stories. We are the product of the people we spend time with. And so my question to you is, do you have any missionary friends? If you don't have any friends that are missions-minded, guess what's going to happen to you? You're not going to be missions-minded either. We are the product of the people we spend the most time with. Spend time with people that are globally and missions minded so that they can influence you as well. And lastly, go on a trip. Consider not only tithing your finances, but consider tithing your year. Consider going on a one-week trip when we have the opportunity to do so. And when we do, we will not only have opportunities to go to Cambodia, but Japan, hopefully the Philippines, and Thailand as well. Consider mentally preparing yourself thinking about your GCAL, not only tithing your money, but tithing your time. And the reason for that, if I can just flip Romans 10, 
is because we have to send people to preach. We have to preach so people can hear. They have to hear so they can believe. They have to believe so they can call. And when people call, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray.